0: Hey everybody, welcome to the House of Bliss podcast, your favorite show you've never heard of and the internet's best kept secret. It's a chilly, chilly day here in Ohio, and I love the rain. I love the cold. If I could live in this all the time, I would. Uh, Many of you know that my wife and I spent about a year and a half in Redding, California going to Bethel, and as much as I love Bethel, Redding is frighteningly hot. Like, I actually had a nightmare a couple of nights ago that I was back in Reading in the summer. I really did. Like, I'm enjoying this cold so much that I had nightmares about summer. Which don't get me wrong, though. Reading is a lovely town, except for the six months of the year where it's the surface of the sun. But speaking of Reading, if you ever get the chance to go there, go to Wilder's Grill and get a Buddha Bowl. I don't miss the fire and brimstone, but I do miss the bootables. Well, before I get started today, I want to give a huge shout out to my latest patrons, JR, Cassidy, Lucas, and Aviana. Thank you, guys. Because of you, I am over halfway to my goal of making House of Bliss my part-time job. The possibility of this thrills me. And if you want to help make that a reality, you can just head right on over to my Patreon page. Just hit the link in the description. And for as little as $1 per month, you can get access to all the patrons-only exclusives. But if you're listening, you're like, well, I can't. I just don't have the cash. That is totally fine. There is one tiny little thing you could do for me, and that would be to uh, leave me a nice five-star rating and review, especially if you're on iTunes. That just goes a long way to helping the show get out there. So, all right, enough business. I want to start today with something a little bit unusual, something that may never, ever happen again. I want to start today with a car analogy, which is funny if you know how deeply not into cars I am. But here's what I want to say. Cars are designed to drive. Thanks. Good night, everyone. No, just kidding. But really, though, every part of a car is designed carefully. How strange would it be if someone's tires were blown and you heard them say, Yeah, my car doesn't really do that. It wasn't made to use wheels. You might be like, uh, actually, it's, it's pretty easy to fix that. Um, another thing about cars, how many of you guys instantly know what's wrong when your check engine light comes on? Probably not too many of you, and that is why we take it to a mechanic. So what's my point here? My point here is that you are designed to experience and interact with God intimately. The Bible makes some amazing claims about you, that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that you are one spirit with God, that you are complete in Christ, that Christ in you is the hope of glory, that the old you is dead and the new you is Christ living through you. If you listen to my last episode, you know that these truths are necessarily tangible and experiential. Every single part of you was designed to interface with God. So why then do we allow our feelings to make us doubt this? All of us have experienced the feeling of being spiritually blocked at some point. But but oftentimes we identify with our experience of lack in really strange ways. So like the guy in my car analogy, sometimes we just say things like, well, I'm not a feeler or... I'm not prophetic. Yes, you are. Just because you haven't experienced it or don't currently know how to access it doesn't mean you are lacking the capacity. Now, with that being said, your feelings are not bad at all. They're actually extremely helpful. So going back to the car analogy, our feelings can help us to know when something needs attention, just like our check engine light. So if you're feeling blocked, it's okay. There's nothing wrong with you. You're not broken. Um, As I once heard my friend Ashley say, you are not deafer than God is loud. But as I've been in ministry over the years, I've noticed that feeling blocked often comes through the believing of lies. So bad beliefs equals bad fruit. That doesn't mean you're a bad tree. It just means it's time to swap out some beliefs. Now, Just because we are identifying with lies doesn't mean that you're mentally conscious of this. Sometimes the lie is hiding somewhere in your emotions, and this is why your feelings could be so helpful. So just like a mechanic, uh, I want to walk you through some troubleshooting. Now I will say this, I'm not an expert, I'm definitely not a counselor, and this is not an exhaustive list. But I do just want to take you through seven things that I've personally seen that are generally at the root of feeling blocked. So like I said, think of this list like troubleshooting. If the first one doesn't apply to you, that's fine. Um, Perhaps as you keep listening, you'll have an aha moment. Or if none of them apply to you, that's fine. But you might want to tuck these away so that you can be a help to your neighbor. And lastly, I'm going to divide these eight things into two groups, head problems and heart problems. Sometimes a block is as simple as a bad belief, but other times it might be linked to an emotional issue, which might sound more complex, but really it's not. The same savior who cast a thousand demons out of one guy is here to help you today. He has got this. He's the master of unlocking the human heart. So I'm going to breeze through the head problems, but for the heart problems, I'm actually going to take an extended time at the end to walk through some prayer with you. So are you ready? These are eight reasons why you might feel spiritually blocked. Number one, you just don't know what you don't know. The first and simplest answer is that many people just don't know the truth of their union with God. They've simply never heard it. Um, It's amazing to me how many folks go their entire Christian lives thinking the gospel is primarily about the afterlife. Meanwhile, all of the amazing things God has for them now just sit untouched. It's a bit like having a billion dollars in the bank and just not knowing what a debit card is. Like you could theoretically starve to death as a billionaire. Now, this is not your fault. This is, unfortunately, the consequence of a watered-down, old-timey, Western evangelical afterlife insurance gospel. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing. So if you've been hearing the wrong stuff, your faith will be in the wrong stuff. Do you know what you are? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, the temple was the meeting place for God and man. It was the intersection of heaven and earth. So think of Moses on the mountain meeting with God. Second Corinthians says that you, yes, you listening, you have been given a relationship with God so much more amazing than that, that they aren't even comparable. The meeting place is now within your innermost being, an eternal face-to-face friendship with God. That's where you are. That is what you are. The Bible says that you can boldly approach his throne. You have access to God at all times. But if you don't realize this or purposely engage with it, how can you experience it? Now, I don't know about you, but the first time that I ever started hearing this message of union with God, I felt something strangely wonderful. What was so foreign to my mind sounded like a return home for my heart. So if you've just simply never heard this before and you want to take a deep dive, there are four books I want to recommend. Mystical Union and The Ecstasy of Loving God, both by John Crowder. Um, Next, High on God by my friend Matt Spinks. And lastly, Face to Face with God by Bill Johnson. These four books are loaded with revelation on the subject. But that's not all there is to it, is it? What about the people who have heard this over and over again? They know they are one with God. They know they have access into all the treasures of heaven. They, they have heard countless times that God loves them and wants to interact with them. But no matter how many times they confess it, believe it, say it, read it, or whatever, they just feel blocked. That's going to bring me into number two. Pressure to perform. First of all, it's okay. You're not broken. You're not a special case. Sometimes the pressure of feeling like you're supposed to have a certain experience can lock you up. Other times it can spring from our tendency to categorize things. So labels like feeler or seer, those can be helpful in identifying areas of gifting, but they can also be extremely limiting and just untrue. Now, you may not be prone to feeling the presence of God right now, But it's absolutely something that you can grow into. After all, does the Bible not say that we're growing up into all things? Your entire being was designed to know God. Your body was made for God. Your mind was made for God. But when we compare ourselves or label our experiences, we end up creating a gap that doesn't exist. It's like Bill Johnson says, the only closed heaven that exists is between your ears. (laughs) I don't care if it's been 40 years of nothing. If you're saying that you can't because you haven't, you are making past experience your gospel. Let me say that again. If you're saying you can't because you haven't, you are making past experience your gospel. It's time to let go. It's time to stop adopting limits that the Bible never puts on you. So just say this with me out loud. I am a feeler. I am a seer. I receive revelation. I can hear God clearly. These statements may not feel true right in this very moment, but the truth is the truth regardless of how you feel about it. Think about this. If you don't experience the fullness of God now, you certainly will eventually. There are no blind people in heaven. It is inevitable. But you might as well cut the labels now and declare the truth in faith. How many times have you spoken lies over yourself, whether consciously or subconsciously? Oh, that's not me. Oh, I never hear anything. I never get slain in the spirit or or, or whatever. I think the antidote here lies in what we do with nothing. What happens when we feel nothing? How do we react? Feeling nothing from God can either send us into a spiral of religious performance, or it can cause us to just give up and close our hearts. But I believe the antidote to both is thankfulness. I've seen this time and time again. Instead of worrying about why you're not getting touched by God, thank Him for what He is doing. The next time you're in a gathering and people are getting mowed down in the glory, just thank God that you get to be there. What if instead you just begin to minister to those people? Maybe offer to be a catcher. (laughs) Be the reason somebody else encounters God. Now, doing this, hear me, does not earn you spiritual experiences. But what thankfulness does is it draws you out of yourself to experience what God has always wanted to do all along. Okay, then do this. As you give thanks, pay attention to your senses. Maybe you felt just the slightest, teeniest, tiniest little tingle in your hand. Awesome! That means something is changing. Thank God for it and see if he won't increase it. So give thankfulness a shot. I've seen it work not only for me, but for others who always feel like they're the ones who get skipped over. Number three, religious mindsets. Look, you have to know, deep, deep down, that encountering God is thoroughly biblical. I'll say it again. Listen to the episode I did last week. It lays a scriptural foundation for this. Um, You can also go back and listen to the episode I did in December called The Laughter of God, where I talk about charismatic experiences throughout history. But to know God is to experience God. Unfortunately, there's so much... um, There's so much fear of the supernatural in the Western Church. Fear of being deceived, uh, fear of being possessed, fear of the unknown, fear of being a woo-woo flaky Christian type. Sometimes it's just fear of things they didn't teach you at Grandpappy's Baptist Church down the lane. But unfortunately, this fear can hinder your experience. Not always. Sometimes you hear stories about the Holy Spirit mopping the floor with somebody who never even asked. But generally, this apprehension embeds itself into your heart, and it keeps you from really being open to the Holy Spirit. The antidote for this is just as simple as acknowledging and letting go of fear. Look, the Bible does say many false prophets will go forth. It doesn't say that all prophets are false. It also says that there will be false signs and wonders. It doesn't say that all signs and wonders are false. There is not. A single verse in all of the New Testament that discourages the supernatural or even implies that it would cease in our day. There is only one little verse taken wildly out of context in 1 Corinthians. There are dozens of verses, however, that explicitly state the opposite, such as signs and wonders will follow those who believe. Listen, I have the utmost respect for my fellow Christians. But in all of my dealings with cessationists, those would be the people who don't believe in the spiritual activity of the Holy Spirit, Um, the real reason they reject charismatics is not because of anything they found in the Bible. It's typically because they've seen somebody act abusively under the guise of the Spirit. And I will be the first to admit there is some downright foolishness going on in the name of like deliverance or whatever. Or, quite frankly, they're just upset that they've never experienced anything like that. And I understand nobody likes to feel like they're missing out. But that's going to bring me right into point number four. Offense against the Holy Spirit. Do you remember King David's first wife, Michael? First Samuel tells us that she was angry with her husband for dancing naked before the Lord in the sight of the people. How foolish. He was the king. He was supposed to be dignified. But David roasts her with this famous line, I will become even more undignified than this. So as I stated in my episode about holy laughter, the Holy Spirit can affect people in ways that are truly bizarre. But this is how it's always been throughout history. And there's got to be a part of you that is willing to look like a fool if it means you can know Jesus. Mainstream doesn't mean Godstream, And Jesus had no problem offending people and whittling down crowds. Majority opinion is not a kingdom metric. And this is a case where your feelings might not be so helpful. Recently, I was watching a worship video where a woman was laughing during a song. And I was flipping through the comments and I saw a lot of them about how strange that laugh made them feel. So it, it has to be a demon because they feel uncomfortable. Sometimes people just look at charismatic speakers and think, oh, because they're eccentric or strange, that God can't be involved. But this kind of thinking just has to go. Look, weird does not automatically mean God. But God always has, and always will, have a penchant for the strange. Why don't you ask Ezekiel, Isaiah, Balaam, Moses, Peter, I mean, pretty much anyone who's ever had an experience with God had to go through something incredibly odd and maybe personally offensive. If you feel like this might be you, what I want to encourage you to do is really simple. Just find a charismatic buddy and look at the fruit of their lives. The ones that I know who really live a life in the presence of God have incredibly fruitful lives. Now, I don't mean that they appear normal. But I mean the, the fruit of love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Those things are abundant in their lives. It's a lot easier to handle the weird stuff if you know what it's really producing in someone's life. All right, that is the end of the head knowledge section. Hopefully that was helpful for some of you. We're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, I'm going to go through three more things. And then I want to go into a time of prayer. So, for this next bit, I recommend you find a place where you can sit and focus. This is something that I've talked about in groups a handful of times, and it typically gets pretty raw. So, you might want to wait until your mascara is not going to just get everywhere um, or whatever. I believe this strongly that as you listen to this, the Holy Spirit is going to remove some emotional baggage. But to do that, I want to lead you into a a prayer encounter, not just give you some theology. So here we go. These are three heart level reasons why we might feel spiritually blocked. Number one is trauma. Now, I'm defining trauma in the widest possible sense here as anything that wounds us. I've heard it said that our most deeply held worldviews are shaped by the time we're eight years old. So trauma is especially impacting. Um, It could be something obvious like the death of a loved one. Um, It could also be something way more subtle like a toxic family dynamic. Um, But oftentimes, our relationship with our earthly parents will create an imprint in us that distorts how we see God. So, for example, if your earthly father was hurtful, absent, abusive, or untrustworthy, it's not as easy to hear talk about God as a good father. Because what is a good father anyway? There's no reference in you. Or maybe if you grew up in poverty, then talk about kingdom abundance will just seem totally foreign to you. This one might manifest in a need to always fend for yourself or show off any sort of status or pretend to be something you're not, you know, that kind of thing. Those are psychological things that, uh, you know, I would never, ever, ever want to say there's any shame whatsoever in seeing a counselor. But I also believe that there is a spiritual component involved. One of my favorite authors, C. Baxter Kruger, notes that because the devil has no authority, he has to resort to spineless tactics to trick us out of walking in our true identity. In Revelation chapter 12, There's a picture of a dragon waiting for a a woman to give birth so that he can devour her baby. What does that tell us? That the enemy preys on children. Think about it. If you or I really understood the gravity of who God made us to be, it would be bad news for the devil. So while we're young and vulnerable, he waits for something traumatic to come along and whispers falsehoods to us. That divorce was your fault. You're unlovable and that's why they left. You're hopelessly stupid. Does that voice sound eerily familiar? You see, I'm convinced that most people go into adulthood reacting to pain they never knew they had. Trying to prove themselves. Never really trusting. However it might manifest. And it's only when people get free that they realize what they were living under. This is the essence of repentance. The Greek word for repentance means to have a radical shift in thought. When Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, you could take that to mean something like, surrender your whole view of reality to me. Come to me like a child, because you can't take that baggage any further. It's time to let go of the old story. It's time to embrace the new. Kruger again says that, Uh, That another definition of repentance is this, that Jesus comes to represent us to ourselves. Some of us can't even imagine what life would be like as whole people. And that's what Jesus is coming to show you. All right, number two, shame. Shame, in my view at least, is the deep-seated belief that you are unworthy of love and need to hide yourself. Shame first showed up in the garden when Adam and Eve hid from God. Shame will also lie to you and tell you that people who love you can't be trusted. So Genesis doesn't say that God came storming into the garden in anger. He simply came in the cool of the day as he always did. Adam and Eve had no reason to fear the one that they only ever knew as companion. But suddenly, because of the sickness of sin, they saw God as a threat. So God does something amazing here. He provides them with animal skins to cover their shame. God didn't need it. They were always naked, but they needed it, so he provided it. And this was a beautiful picture about he would ultimately clothe us in his own glory by sacrificing himself for us. So you can start to see how the presence of shame in our hearts might cause us to feel disconnected. If somewhere deep, deep down in our subconscious, we think God wants to separate from us because of our unworthiness, it's impossible to really, really open our hearts to the only one who can truly heal us. Now, we might say we've opened our hearts, but shame can also be a simple fear of failing. One might be afraid that if they truly open their hearts to God, they won't hear anything back, so they keep a small part of themselves locked away in safety. There is only one being in the entire universe who is truly trustworthy with the innermost workings of your heart. It's Jesus. He has all the power in the entire universe, but he respects your heart enough not to just barge in there. Instead, he comes to you in true humility. In Revelation, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. So why not allow those walls to come down? Why go another day hiding away from the only one who has healing in his wings? And lastly, number three is distraction. The book of Hebrews says, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. We live in a world exploding with options. Some of these options are openly poisonous for our souls, like pornography, drugs, the news. Okay, I'm only half kidding about that. Other things are not morally wrong in any way, uh, but they're just not the best things for us. Like, can you live off of Wonder Bread? Yeah, sure, you could, but nobody's gonna argue that that's the best way to live. Whenever I read about ancient cultures, it's striking to me how steeped in the supernatural they all really were. This is probably because they didn't have cars and planes and iPhones, TV, radio, billboards, books, magazines, tablets, podcasts, Wi-Fi, Nintendo switches, and all manner of blinking lights to distract them. Things were just so much slower and simpler, and people were just naturally more present and open to spiritual things. Fast forward to now, and most of us have the, the the speed cranked up so high all the time that our culture literally views burnout as a status symbol. Oh, I, I can't. I'm too busy. Or, yeah, I'm taking the day off, but I'm going to make it productive. Or, huh, I remember my first 80-hour-a-week job. Do you see what I'm saying? Uh, Jesus. Think about Jesus. He was the literal incarnation of the Godhead yet he sought long hours of solitude to pray. Now, I'm not saying that playing Mario will cause you not to hear from God. What I am saying here is it's worth putting down Mario to turn an ear to his voice. Look, some of you may not want to hear this, but you have the capacity to make good choices. I've heard rabbis riff on the fact that if Moses was living in the desert, Seeing a burning bush wouldn't be all that uncommon. It's hot, it's dry, things catch on fire. What was uncommon was that it wasn't burned by the fire. So think about this. How long would Moses have to be staring at it to notice? Five minutes? Ten minutes? My point here is, what if there are burning bushes all around us? God is so eager to speak with us. If only we will turn aside and listen. When you're used to having 10 out of 10 speed all the time, it can take a little bit of time and persistence to shut out the busyness. Like for me, I I get caught up in that sometimes. I know that God is in me, every moment of every day. But I also know that it's so much easier to experience that truth if I take daily time to pause and focus on the truth. So, I wanna lead you in a time of prayer uh, through an exercise that I do that really helps me. So I want you to get comfortable. I want you to get alone. And I want you to take a minute to really pause and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Ha ha ha. Ooh, thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit. <laughs> we honor you right now, we invite you to speak with us, to commune with us. Lord, I pray right now that everyone who's listening would actually feel your tangible presence begin to wash over them. I thank you, Lord, that light is dawning in their hearts, that no more clouded minds, no more shrouds of lies, just truth of your union with them just shining through. You are are so good with the human heart. I pray right now that you speak to each one individually in a way that they can grab onto. So what I want you to do first is I want you to to just start to recall a time where God came through for you. It could be a time in the past when you felt really intimate with him um, it could be a time where he he showed up in a miracle. And I want you to think, who did God show himself to be for you in this moment? Did he show himself as father, as friend, as provider? And when you get that, I want you to just thank him out loud for being that to you. And I want you to take a moment and thank him for anything else that he might have shown to you in the past. Just savor some of those past experiences you've had with God. The next thing I want you to do is ask the Lord out loud, Father, is there a trauma, a point of shame, or a distraction that is causing me to feel blocked? each of these three cases, there's probably a lie that you're believing. So I want you to say out loud, Father, is there a lie that I'm believing about myself because of this thing? Now you might not hear it in plain English. Uh, Maybe a childhood event will just pop in your mind or maybe a memory. But whatever comes to you first, I don't want you to discount it. Just go with it. If you happen to see multiple things, just pick one and come back later and do the rest. But I want you to say this again. Father, what is the lie that I'm believing about you? <laughs> Thank you, Lord, yes. Now I want you to ask him, where did this come from? Allow the Holy Spirit to take you through your memories. For instance, if the lie is lack, maybe he'll show you a time in your childhood where your parents were scared about money. It's important to understand how these things crept into your heart. When you're ready, I want you to say out loud, I break agreement with the lie that such and such. And you know, something I like to do personally is I like to use my hands to just cut it like an invisible chain. Send it away. And now I want you to ask the father again, Father, what is the truth that you want me to believe instead? Now, whatever comes to you, no matter how, how small it might seem, I want you to write it down, and I want you to speak it over yourself each day. They say it takes seven positive statements to undo the damage of just one hurtful statement. So take this truth and say it often. Now, feel free to explore that again. Maybe go through it again if you need to. But I'm just going to pray one more thing over you guys and then we'll call it good. Jesus, 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 thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You are the deliverer. You are the healer. You are the master of the human heart of, uh, of the mind. There is nothing too hard for you. There is no tangled up knot of nervousness that you can't undo. You are so good at this. So Jesus, as each person is listening to this, I thank you that you are ministering to their heart, that you are washing over them with your love, and I pray that you just seal them and keep them as they begin to walk in the truth. I thank you, Lord, that you are upholding them and keeping them, and we can trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.